Ghost! Ian Rappaport from NFL Network. You're killing me, Smalls. This is Bucky Brooks of the NFL Network. You're killing me, Smalls. Hey, this is Chris Hack, president of the 76ers. I just want to say, you're killing me, Smalls. Hey, this is former Sixer and Tar Heel, George Lynch. Smalls, you're killing me. Hi, this is Kenny Albert. You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls. Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of the Killing Me Smalls podcast back from a five-week hiatus and there's so much to talk about but I'll tell you what you cannot be in this business if you're not willing to improvise if you're not willing to try things differently. I've got one of my favorite guests this is his second time on the show uh, somebody that I've looked up to my whole sports fandom life um so now I guess I can call him friend of the show, Bob Ryan. We had some technical difficulties getting him on the video stream. And right here, you see my microphone and you see the phone. And on the phone is Bob Ryan. And Bob, if you could say hello to everybody, I can get started and we can talk about what a weird podcast this is going to be. I would love to say hi to everybody. Thank you very much. Uh, all my old friends in the Delaware Valley, speaking as a born and bred Trenton native. Hi there. <laughs> so, uh, Bob, for those of you who don't know, you know, I used to to wake up every Sunday morning, turn on the sports reporters, and it would always be like, and Bob Ryan from the Boston Globe, but he's more than Bob Ryan from the Boston Globe. He is the four-time National Sports Writer of the Year. He's a Kurt Gowdy Award winner and is in the Basketball Hall of Fame. He's written 14, 14 books, including one in 2014 that I've not read yet which is Bob's memoir about his life in sports. And of course, everybody knows him. He's on The Ringer. He's on all kinds of shows on ESPN. So Bob, officially welcome back to the Killing Me Smalls podcast. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. So Bob, the last time we spoke, there was a rumor that Ben Simmons was going to go to Boston in some way, shape or form for Jalen Brown. And I believe your quote was, I will go to the airport and not let him off the plane because I do not want a guy who can't shoot on my team. How do you feel about the fact that he is not a Boston Celtic after last week? Relieved. <laughs> and and it's now the Nets situation, and uh, I have more power to them. I'm very happy. I did not want to give up Jalen Brown for him. Uh, he's the most perplexing player of stature in the history of the NBA. There's never been a player who has got accolades in one department, namely his defense, and um, that is so strangely inefficient at the other end of the floor, and willfully so, which is what bothers me. It's, it, 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 there's no excuse for his game. None. Zero. It's his fault. And um, that, that's what bothers me. What, what makes this man tick? I don't want any part of him. So Steve Nash has got the issue now. How do you think that's going to work? I mean, that, listen, you you dealt with Kyrie in Boston. Kyrie's yeah. an enigma. How do you? Steve Nash has the worst job in the world, don't you think? It's not an easy one. He's going to be worth every cent that uh, Mr. Ty Sai uh, Joe Sai is going to pay him uh, to to get through this. I understand the good things. There are going to be nights when when they're going to score a lot of points. Ben's going to have. 14, 15 assists. They're going to run up and down the floor. 
Duncan, Duncan, excuse me, Kevin, Kevin is going to have, you know, 35 points. Tyree's going to have 35 points. Fine. And and that's all good. The regular season, of course, how often they're going to be on the floor together and what night and what town they're in because of Kyrie. But if anything hasn't changed in the interim from the last time that you and I and everyone else saw Ben play, uh, this this free throw problem, uh, this this shooting uh, phobia. Uh, it, um, if it hasn't changed, and when the playoffs come, you know what good is he? So um, I'm, I'm um, very much I'm curious, like everybody else. I'm curious to see what's going to be. But uh, I, I just to me, he's not worth the problem. He's not worth the the, the aggravation. That's what he because it is an aggravation. You know, on paper, it sounds great, right? You 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 take a guy like Simmons and you surround him with shooters. And you look at elite defense and the fact that he can, you know, the, you know, some of those basketball stats will tell you that he is the best in the league at setting up three point shots. And, you know, you've got KD, you've got Seth Curry, you've got, you know, Kyrie when he feels like playing, they just signed Goran Dragic today. Joe Harris comes back. I mean, it all sounds beautiful on paper. It sounds like a mess to me. Well, it, it does sound beautiful on paper, but but he's you've got two, um, you know, big yeah buts. He's a, his yeah but which we just explored, right? And and Kyrie's general everything yeah but uh, he doesn't leave teams in a happy way. Um, he, I still maintain as an amateur psychologist that uh, uh, he's in search of something in life, but doesn't know what it is, and and or else he'd still be in Cleveland winning championships. And uh, uh, so that there's that, and uh, then of course there's the old issue: will he be available to them? I know that Sean Marks, the GM, is counting. I mean, I know I take it from what I read in the New York papers that Sean Marks, they're counting on Mayor Adams changing the rules, and that by the time the games that matter come along, they really matter, that that Kyrie will be able to play every night, no matter where what city they're in. I think they're counting on that, and uh, uh, fine. All right, but if that doesn't happen, it's going to be a bizarre circumstance in which they'll be the first team in the history of the NBA hoping to play Game Seven on the road. <laughs> or so that that uh, that much we do know. Uh, anyway, but it, it's it, it's a, there's complicating factors here. It's not a it's not a just plug in this, plug in that, and that. No, we all know that there's a reason. There's reasons why Kyrie Irving is there, and there's a reason why Ben Simmons is there. There's even a reason why the other guy's there. You know, why isn't he still in? Uh, you know, uh, Golden State. So it it it's you're right about Nash. He's going to earn his money. Yeah, I I got to think that locker room is going to be. I think I'm sure it'll be great in the beginning. There's always a honeymoon phase, but talk to me after they get eliminated in the in the playoffs, and I I got to think there's going to be some finger pointing. That that crew is is famous for finger pointing. You know, those individuals are for sure. Yep. So it's going to be it's a, it's a combustible uh, situation and. And, uh, you know, they got rid of one problem, but they've exchanged it for another. You know, just – and how fortunate – let's get to the real – my fun part about this, which is that the guy who won it out in all this was was uh, Daryl Morey. He proved me wrong and many others, those of us who maintained that he was foolish to squander this whole season, trade the guy, get 25 cents, 50 cents on the dollar, get something, get him out of – he doesn't want to play for you. All right, get rid of him. No, no, he's going to hold out for a high caliber return. And he, and he, on paper, he got it. He got what he wanted. 
and and uh, I didn't think he could, and but he did. So congratulations to Daryl Moore for that. I'll give him that. He sure did. Um, at least that he got his white whale. You know, he loved he and James Harden have been connected for so many years, and it's who he wanted. And if he didn't get him this season, he was determined to get him next season. Tried to get him last season. Um, I was a little frustrated by it watching it. Uh, especially when you see Tyrese Halliburton getting traded. I thought if you could have gotten Tyrese Halliburton, uh, Harrison Barnes in a pick, that would have been a great deal for Ben Simmons. Mm. But Oh, boy, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I thought that I was on the table, too. right? How yeah, do you think uh, Harden fits? Well, everyone is talking about the potential of, of a historic pick and roll with Embiid and, and Harden. And maybe it will turn out to be just that. Maybe it will. Uh uh, we'll, we'll see. Now, I must admit that James Harden last year fooled me in terms of his willingness to reinvent himself into something of a real point guard. Uh, his assist totals really astonished me. Uh, and, and, and I think he, wanted, he did his best to fit in uh, with, with uh, his, his all-star teammates uh, in a slightly subdued manner for, by, for him. I still don't like watching him play. He still pounds it too much for me. But uh, somehow or other, those, those assists mysteriously materialize in the morning box score. I don't remember any of them, but they, 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 always, they always tell us they're there. I don't know whether he's bribed every scorekeeper in the, in the league or not. He does, he does get assist totals. But, uh, now, that was, his old, uh, that was his old teammate, Westbrook. They're a they're a um, a lab experiment, you know. As the Lakers were one before the season, and we saw how that turned out. They are a lab experiment. Well, both of these teams are really because of the nature of the people that they're getting. And and you know, I mean, keep in mind, of course, that Dalmore lucked out in that Harden. Well, maybe he didn't luck out. Maybe it was maybe you know who knows. Maybe they conspired, you know. But Harden made himself a poison pill and and. And, and untenable in, in New Jersey to make himself available, and um, you know maybe maybe uh, there was more to it than we know, but but it did happen anyway. Um, I'm curious. Look, uh, Mike, I'm just curious to see each of these teams, team, two teams, play and the new and their new guys. We're all curious, and uh, uh, that that's the best way I can put it. I'm not calling uh, uh, you know disaster in, the, in either case. Maybe it'll work out. Let's see. I think, you know, listen, um, the Nets thing aside, if you're a Philadelphia sports fan right now, you're rooting for two things to happen. The Sixers to work out and the Nets to combust because that's uh, it's almost like following two sports right now. I mean, I think more people watch the Simmons press conference than the Harden press conference. But if you, you know, getting back to the Harden fit in Philly, what's interesting to me and, you know, you you and, and your vast NBA knowledge um the, the way this fits, in my opinion, I, I don't see it as a great pick and roll fit because I don't see Embiid as a good roller. He's not a good diver to the basket. He's not going to, you know, he's not going to catch alley-oops. It's just not who he is and what his strength is. But what would be interesting for me to watch is Harden and Embiid in a two-man game, whether it's dribble handoff or what have you on one side. And who are you going to double team? Because both of them command a double team every time they touch the ball which opens it up for a guy like Tyrese Maxey to attack the basket. To me, that's the interesting part. Well, that's a good point. And of course, with, with MB, we might have to say it might be a pick and pop rather than pick and roll. For sure. And, and that's fine. Okay. Uh, you're right. You, you mentioned Maxey. I've been, a, I've been a, a, a member of the Maxey fan club since I first saw him in Kentucky. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy the way he is blossoming and, and showing the world how good he is. Um, and it, it'll be... <clears throat> Uh, I just let me ask you a question. Sure. Um, I I thought the Sixers 
had a great thing going. I thought that they that seemed like they had had a that they're that overused word chemistry, whatever word, but they had they had a good team flow going, and they seemed to be working very well. Um, there was nothing wrong with you know. I don't know. I think they could have gone a long way the way they were, but uh, without without him and with the way Maxi was playing. And and, uh, and and with Seth Curry, who was shooting a higher percentage than his brother last night, notwithstanding. Right. But, but <laughs> um, the, yeah, the All-Star game was rather... That was something. That but but um, anyway, I thought they had a... Did you, would you have been comfortable if they hadn't done nothing and, and, and he sat there and rotted all year and they, and they let's see what that team could have accomplished? You know, I, I, I was not. Um, I know a lot of Sixers no. fans were. I They just didn't have enough, in my opinion. Um, you... you Look, it looks good on a on a regular season game because, you know, Seth Curry can hit those shots and Maxi has been spectacular and Embiid has been otherworldly. The problem is we saw it last year against Atlanta. Seth Curry can't guard anybody and a team is going to attack him. Kevin Herter had put up 27 points on him in game seven, just going at him the whole time. And there was nothing the Sixers could do. Seth Curry is a really good player, but you can't depend on him in a playoff game, in my opinion as being one of your main guys. And while Maxi has really made strides, I think getting somebody else on the team, uh, you know, obviously uh, Harden withstanding, but even somebody that was just an upgrade, uh, much less, you know, a top 10 player like Harden, it'll open things up for Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris isn't good enough to be your second best player, um, or maybe not even your third best player, but he's going to be a damn good fourth best player in my opinion. So, I know that, you know, there the spite in me would say, yeah, let Ben Simmons rot for a year. But you know what? The, Embiid is having too good of a season. He's too much fun to watch. And I just thought he deserved some help. That's that's okay. my opinion. All right. All right. Good. That, I'll yeah. that. I'm, I'm, you're in, well, much closer to the situation than I. Uh, and that's a good point. I had not taken that uh, point about Curry's defense into consideration. Uh, and uh, the playoffs are a different animal. And, and they, they, I, I well know, I should know after all these years, the dynamics of playoffs and individual series and how, and, 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 and you know, how, how things are, are much different than they are in the regular season. So yes, thank you. Okay. I'm yeah. Right. Well, I mean, listen, somebody who follows Boston as closely as you, it was Brad Stevens that, you know, put the spotlight on the world to Ben Simmons's weakness in the playoffs. It was that 2018 series when, you know, the, the Celtics lined up across the free throw line and dared him to drive because he wasn't going to get through four people and he certainly wasn't going to shoot it over him. And he was, he, he was, you know, basketball impotent in that series. And that is what's happened to him in every playoff series yeah. since. Once again, when, it, when it's all said and done, I, I, I just don't understand his thinking. I don't understand how he could have allowed himself to evolve in this manner. If he, you know, but that, you know, uh, I'm sure I'm hardly alone and wondering what's really going on in that head that that he has, you know, after his rookie year, I, I, I said, okay, well, it's obvious what they're going to do. They're going to lock him in a gym for three hours a game with an armed guard uh, uh, in the summer and make him shoot a thousand jump shots. And the next year he's going to, you know, because I've seen guys improve. I've seen mm -hmm. many, many great players improve over this course of their career and, and he'll be only the latest will do that, and yet, obviously, it never happened. He 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 won't do it, obviously. And so, whatever that, I, I once again, I, I don't trust it. I don't want to. I don't want to rely on a guy like that. I, I agree anyway. with you a thousand percent. And um, you know, I I was actually president of his fan club until last year. Um, you know, I, I I my thought was I don't care if he shot three pointers. 
all I wanted him to do was be a 70% free throw shooter. Because if he was, he could attack the basket, get fouled, hit seven out of 10 and do all the other things he does. I'm fine with it. And you know what? Something got in his head and, you know, look, I'm not going to debate anybody as to, you know, what his mental illness is or if he has it or if he's faking it. I don't even want to get into that discussion. Yeah. But there's something there to your point. We can't win. No, we can't win on that one. No. And his, but his, his interview was contradictory in a way. And, and, you know, so I, I, anyway, that, that's who he is. And it finally got resolved. And, and, and now we're all sitting around waiting to see this thing on the, on the court. I'm, I'm, I'm dying to see it. You know, Bob, I, I want to get into a few other topics with you. One of the things that I do on this podcast is I don't make any money on it, but I use this platform for charity. And the big charity that I care about is called Small Miracles. My daughter had a brain tumor in 2017. Um, she is now 18 years old. And we actually had an MRI this morning. And once again, which we get every six months, and she had 18 months of chemotherapy and after the last, you know, after that was through, we have to get a, a scan every six months to make sure it didn't grow. We found out the good news today that it did not grow. So we get six more months. But what she has done is she has used what she's gone through to help others. And she started a charity. She's raised over $80,000 for kids at Children's Hospital that are going through chemotherapy where she noticed that a lot. She noticed something and it was it was amazing that the hospitals really cater to the young kids, the toddlers, the, the babies, but the teenagers really don't have anything for them. And she's raised money, gotten them iPads and so that they can journal mm -hmm. socks so they can keep their extremities warm. And if you want to check out the charity, it's uh, the website is smallmiraclesinc.org. Or if you want to donate to it, it's at small underscore miracles. Uh, she's been accepted to Notre Dame, her dream school. She is scan her scan was clear today. So we're very excited. She's got a lot to look forward to. And um, that is my PSA for well, that's very commendable. And, um, and um, you should be, I know you're very proud. I don't have to say you should be. I'm sure you are. And, Incredibly. And uh, I'm, I'm certainly now uh, pulling for it. Thank you, uh, you know, for enlightening me. Thank you. And for those just joining, um, Bob Ryan legendary sports writer, four-time national sports writer of the year from the Boston Globe, is on a cell phone under my microphone right here because we had a few technical difficulties and I didn't want to pass up the chance to talk to him. So, Bob, I got to talk to you about this because this I feel like this is something since we spoke last time that I've been dying to ask you about. So when I was a young journalism major um, back in the late 80s, early 90s, um, obviously things are a lot different. And, you know, just talking about this Ben Simmons, James Harden trade and the trade deadline, it's it. there's no stories being broken anymore. It's what agent feeds Woj or Shams first or, you know, which which NBA executive wants to put a spin and put it into, you know, give it to them first. I find that frustrating. I'm wondering how you see how sports journalism has evolved, especially story breaking. I myself was a I viewed myself as a writer and and as a reporter uh, I, I was okay 
uh, I, I, it was, you know, you have to do your due diligence. Uh, I wasn't in the big in the breaking stories myself when I did it. Uh, I left that to others. Uh, I always looked at it that not for me that <clears throat> you get dependent on people telling you things and then you're depend then you're at the mercy of whether or not they're telling you the truth or, or, or a, or whether they know what the hell they're talking about B. And, and, and so, uh, you know, I, I had to have a pretty really good reason. Uh, the only time I ever got much into story breaking was, uh, in the bird era. Cause I had the best personal relationship with bird of any of the Boston media. Uh, and, and so I could get a few things occasionally out of him that, that would be constituted as news and, 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 um, you know, and, and a, dare I say a scoop, I never lived for that, Mike. Um, so, um, uh, it's the, I, I, I don't even look, I haven't even, I don't even think about it in those terms. What, what, uh, you know, I do know this, that, that, uh, uh, when I, my, the last year I was on the beat full time, but even that was, was 87, 88. And, and those days, uh, this is, uh, you know, ESPN's 10 years old, they don't have the insiders yet. The whole insider thing, uh, is, is not taking full shape in, 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 um, um, broadcast media. Um, you're the, my biggest competitor for news, if you will, and, and, and insight wasn't in Boston. It was Peter Vesey at the New York Post. And by the way, a three time guest on the Kill Me Smalls podcast. And Peter Vesey was the newsbreaker. Yeah. And he had the, the best contacts of, of, of anybody, of, of agents, of players, of you know, he was he, he was the standard. And you know, uh, and, and so there'd be there'd be times when, you know, I my boss would go, Whoa, Vesey had this <laughs> oh boy. You know, and uh, more than anybody in Boston, I was, it was, so he was my de facto competitor and it was a friendly competition. We are friends. We were friends then and we're friends now. And I thought he was terrific at what he did. And uh, um, anyway, that he, he, if anybody kept me on my toes to a degree, it was Peter Vesey. Uh, and so uh, now as far as what, what, what's, what's happening, uh, uh, here's something going on that is, I know that, we, and the uh, COVID has provided an excuse for um, teams to restrict asset access and to con and apparently to continue to restrict access. Commissioner Adam Silver yeah. uh, uh, disturbed a lot of people in our business uh, when he in intimated that perhaps the locker room situation no longer needs to be uh, restored. No, no, it does not need to be restored to its pre-COVID uh, methodology, uh, and which which is going to be shattering to the beat people. And, and, and detrimental ultimately to the reader. Uh, but uh, that's what's going on. Uh, that could be going on. They've used this as an excuse. I am, I'm very, very happy I'm not doing it now. The restrictions, the, uh, the everything about it is not as comfortable or as easy or, or frankly, as much fun as, as we had in, in what was without question the golden age of NBA media coverage which were, and, and media, NBA media life, which was the 80s. And um, anyone will tell you that when they're through it. You won't find it at the center. I promise you that. And, uh, you know, I'm so happy I don't have to put up with the nonsense today. And, and that, that predates COVID. And now after post-COVID, giving them this ex uh, opportunity to, to clamp down, keep, keep you away, uh, and it's, uh, it, it's going to be bad. I'm, I'm just happy I'm no part of it. There's some really good writers that cover the Sixers that I enjoy reading. Um, some of them have been on this podcast, Keith Pompey for one. And, you know, it's just very rare that, you know, everything goes to Woj and Shams. It's, it's almost like there's been a, you know, a mafia deal that <laughs> you can't, <laughs> you can't give any, no local beat writers a lot of break anything. It seems a generation like. Has, of, or two has grown up 
accustomed that that's the deal. That, yeah. You know, what matters is TV. What matters is ESPN or and, and you know or or other outlets and 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 uh, that, that that's that's the, the world that they have inhabited and they're comfortable with and that they know. Not to mention their own you know ability to to take care of their branding. You know, right. word that didn't exist 35 years ago, and uh, um, so the, the 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 poor old beat guy, you know, from the fact that they've taken away his seat uh, and, and exiled him to the you know the terrible places to watch the game. You can't report on the game accurately anymore because you're not even sitting on courtside to see, and more, and also importantly, to hear what's going on. So the game, and of course, people have abandoned game stories as such anyway. For the most part, which is sad. That's what I lived. That's what I propped up the greatest pride of anything I've ever done is, is writing deadline game stories that that would have insight and 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 humor and everything else. And, and quotes and, from and, players that nobody and, else and, got. Yeah, I quote some players and 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 uh, owner uh, and owners, players and, and coaches, and right. all all put together in forty five minutes to an hour, which the average person would not have, have the faintest idea how to do because that's what I did for a living and as opposed to someone else where I wouldn't have the finished idea to do what he or she did. But I, I, I did it and I know I did it very well and I'm proud of what I did. It's not even asked for anymore. It's, your, your job description is different. Um, so, it's a, you know, the world changes, you know, and, and it, it, it's not always for the better. I think most of us would agree to that. And uh, uh, in, in terms of journalism, uh, it has not changed for the better. Well, I got to give a plug to my guy, Austin Krell, who works with us here at the Painted Lines. Make sure you subscribe to the Painted Lines. Austin does a great game story after every game and uh, really does a nice job of covering the team. Well, that's good because, you know, it's an art form. Yeah. And, 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 and uh, it, it enhanced a fan's enjoyment of the whole product, of the whole experience of being a fan. If you did it well, uh, it gave them an extra layer. The game was over and then the next morning you can relive the game. Uh, in, in a way, you know, that, that is no longer possible. People don't do it that way anymore. I got to get you out of here on this. Did you see the Jawan Howard situation against in the game against uh, Wisconsin? Was, you know, it's funny. Here's the funny part for me. I was watching the game. Oh, were you? You saw with, live. And with 15 seconds to go, I said, well, it's over now. I remember when the ball changed hands. I said, okay, they got it. It's over. And I switched to Providence. I went because I knew they were had been way back, and I knew they had a chance to. I want to see how they were doing in their comeback. They did, uh, and of course they did pull that game out. And uh, so uh, it wasn't until afterward that I found out about the incident, and I immediately went and and and, and you you know I saw it. I, I That's everywhere it. now. Yeah, I saw it up. And, you know, and 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 I've you know we've all seen it you know countless times. Um, where do you start? They're both culpable start number one why it, people haven't made enough out of this it all starts because juan howard is putting on pressure up 14 points with 15 seconds to go why is he picking teams up in the backcourt why is he even doing that a b great guard then goes through this whole convoluted explanation as to why he called the times out uh and, and his walk-ons didn't want to what embarrass them the that they couldn't get the ball in, or I, I couldn't even follow it. <laughs> Stupid explanation. So now the game ends, and we know what happened. Howard tried the blow by, as, uh, and and guard intercepted him and put his hand on him. <clears throat> to which uh, Howard completely, in my judgment, overreacted, 
get your hands off me. Oh, yeah, like the little guard is going to bother to our, you know, say, hey, don't, you know. And we all know it escalated from there. And right. we all know that you don't go a open hand. You don't, you don't hit the other guy. And, you know, there, there's plenty of blame to go around. Plenty of blame to go around uh, in both cases. And, uh, but I, I, I really think you start with, why is he pressing? And that, but, and that, that, that was uh, cited by guard. But Guard's explanation was complete coach coach speak gobbledygook nonsense. Okay, his as to why he called the times out the second time out, <laughs> and what happened is indefensible. And and uh, Ward Manuel's got a big decision on his hand as the AD. Uh, how how yeah. much suspension? Because clearly suspension's totally in order. And the league, the the Big Ten has to make a decision. And, uh, and, and, and it's highly, highly unfortunate. You know, it's been, it's been my experience, Bob, that these things are never from the game or what happened in the game. This is something in my, we're going to hear, I'm just reading mm-hmm. the tea leaves. We're going to hear that there was a recruit that was supposed to go to Michigan that, you know, guard chain, you know, talked him out of it. You're going to hear something. I guarantee okay, it. Very good point. Excellent point. We're going to hear it right. You're right. Well, it, it was really ugly that escalated and, you know, they both should be highly embarrassed because it escalated, you know, temporarily into a really ugly site, a really dangerous site. And um, uh, they're lucky it didn't uh, um, turn out even worse in terms of, you know, people throwing more punches and guys maybe wrestling and God knows what would have happened. But I, I do say that uh, it, it, there's blame on both sides. And, and that's a very good point, so I'll be keeping my ears open for that. Yeah. But but uh, um, I, I, I've heard everything recommended by you know neutrals or outside right. from a, a, a two game suspension to the rest of the season <laughs> excuse me um he, but he's got to get something substantial yeah uh, but, but maybe rest of the regular season and, and you know i don't know but you can't do it also his problem here is as i had forgotten is that he's a recidivist he had an incident in the, in the big 10 tournament last year and yes, That's everyone right. agrees he's a nice guy. I've admired him since the time he was doing the PSAs for for literacy, if you remember. Teach, uh, encouraging kids to read. That's what he was doing instead of doing commercials. Yeah. Or, or, in, or I mean, actually, maybe in addition to doing commercials, back when he was playing. Yeah, he was the uh, the smart one, right? That's what they used to, and, uh, right, the Fab Four, and, Fab Five. And, and, and everybody speaks so highly of him in yeah. every way. And I think we're all applauding his initial success there as the coach. This year, of course, there was a lot of pressure. <laughs> they were touted, and, it, and they're obviously having a much less successful season than he anticipated. <laughs> um, anyway, um, I, 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 I hope it doesn't completely, well, I don't know, ruin it. it, it he'll, I think he'll survive in, in the end, but um, he brought this you know, in a measure on himself. Yeah, I, I'm guessing season suspension or something like that. It's going to be definitely something. Well, Bob, I know I've taken up a lot of your time. Um, I know that you you grinded in there with me through the technical issues. And, um, and I, I love talking with you. And uh, if you ever come to Philadelphia for a game, please let me know. I definitely want to have you back on the podcast. And- well, that'd be great. I'd be happy to. Uh, as I said, I am very fond of, uh, of the uh, of Philadelphia. Uh, I, I grew up, uh, you know, at at 33rd and, and Chestnut or Locust was it? And 21st and Lehigh. Okay. I, I, those are, those are dresses that mean something to me. And, um, I, I go way back at, at, at the Phillies, Phillies, uh, Philadelphia teams in the, in the fifties. And, and so, I mean, I did grow up in Trenton and, and, uh, you know, I always gravitated to Philly. So I'm happy to be heard. And, and I'm, uh, I, and, and in the heyday of 
of Philly Rock and Roll, WIBG, <laughs> I, 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 the Wibbage with, with Joe Niagara. So uh, I'm a, I, I can talk some Philly with you. <laughs> we can do that next time. But just do me a favor. Next time you're on The Ringer, can you get Bill Simmons to ease up on us a little bit? <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, thanks so much for joining the podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Please follow me at Real Mike Small on Twitter, and I'll follow you right back. Also, please subscribe to The Painted Lines. You get podcasts like this. You get great game stories and everything about all Philadelphia sports. Thanks, everybody, for joining. We'll see you next time. Hey, it's Justin Grasso from Sports Illustrated. You're killing me, Smalls. Enjoy the podcast. <laughs>